0: Tonight we're going to look at one of the most difficult and disturbing passages in the book of Revelation. Much of the problem that we're going to be looking at centers uh, around the identity of an army that's 200 million in size. Now last week, just to to review with you, last week we looked at the army from the pit, verses 1 through 12. uh, The army from the pit was an army of demons sent to torment for a period of five months. And so we looked at that last week. Tonight, we're going to be looking at an army from the east. Chapter uh, 9, verses 13 through 21. Let's just read that first, and then we'll dig into it. Chapter 9, beginning of verse 13. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. It's the largest number in the New Testament. Largest recorded number listed in the New Testament. And John says, I heard their number. As if he said, I just want you to know I heard this. I heard their number. Verse 17. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire smoke and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver, bronze and stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Father, I pray that tonight as we look at this text of a day that is certainly circled on your calendar, a literal day that is coming for this world, I pray your spirit would be our teacher and be our guide. I pray that your spirit would warn us would enlighten us and would help us to understand this text, how it applies to each of us. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we dig into this text tonight, there are three pictures that I want you to get into your mind and your heart. First of all, I want you to understand, if you follow along on your notes, I want you to understand we have a a God who sovereignly rules. And that is so evident in verses 13 through 14. Keep in mind that this is all part of the trumpet judgments. Let's see if you, and I, I'm going to ask you several questions tonight. I hope that you'll respond and talk back to me uh, in a good way. Uh, so, let's see if you can remember some of these things. When we're talking about the, the trumpet judgments, the first four deal with judgments of what? Say, say it again. Yes, judgments on, uh, with the earth. The last three judgments deal with judgments with the inhabitants of the earth. The last three judgments deal with God judging sinful mankind. This this is not a judgment against God's people. This is a judgment against sinful mankind. Now, notice that it says in verse uh, 13, I believe, or verse, verse 14. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Release the four angels. Now, who are these angels? That's the question many people have asked. Who are these angels? Uh, no one knows for sure, uh, but the fact that they are bound indicates probably that they are fallen angels. Do you notice that they are bound? They are restricted. They are restrained, indicating likely that they are fallen angels. Why would they be bound if they were not evil? Does that make sense? So more than likely, these are fallen angels. Verse 15 seems to to be evidence that these are are evil or fallen angels because they are sent out to to, to do something. What are they sent out to do according to verse 15? Kill how much? A third. to Kill a third of mankind. Now... We're going to talk about this in, in greater detail in a moment, but I want you to think about what it would be like to, to have a third of mankind, a third of the world's population suddenly killed. You know, if, if there is a tsunami or if there is an earthquake and hundreds of people are killed, it makes international news. And as well it should. That's an awful thing when, when you have hundreds of people killed or maybe even thousands of people killed in some kind of natural disaster. But, ladies and gentlemen, that pairs in comparison, or pales in comparison, compared to what's going to happen at the end of this world when we get to the time of judgment. And the Bible says a third, perhaps two, three million people will be killed. Now, um, these four angels had to be held back. I believe because they are evil angels who are thirsty for the blood in the souls of men. According to verse 14, where are they held? Yeah, this is interesting. I've given you a space there to write some things down about the Euphrates River, the great Euphrates River. Question, first of all, is there still a Euphrates River today? Yes, there really is. Do you know what country it flows through? Modern-day country? Iraq, exactly. The prominence of the Euphrates River in the Bible is pretty astounding. I'm going to give you six or seven different things you can jot down there real quickly as we talk about the significance of the Euphrates. First of all, according to Joshua 1.4, it was once one of Israel's boundaries. When Israel was first being developed as a a country, as God's promised land, one of the boundaries was the great river Euphrates, Joshua 1.4. But even before that, Genesis 2, verse 10 and 14, it formed one of the boundaries of the Garden of Eden. That's kind of interesting, isn't it, that it's the boundary for the Garden of Eden as well as the boundary for the nation of Israel in the days of the Old Testament. Also, near this river, according to Genesis 3, the first sin was committed. If that's where Eden was, then... That stands to reason this was where the first sin was committed. Near this same river is where the first murder occurred, Genesis 4. First war was fought here near this river. Tower of Babel was was erected near this river. And near the banks of this river, Nimrod built Babylon, which is where idolatry had its beginnings. I would put a star beside that one. If you're writing all of these down. Near the banks of this river, Nimrod, was, which was built... Try it again. Nimrod built Babylon, which is where idolatry had its beginnings. Remember that because we'll come back to idolatry at the end of this study. And this is also the same area where the Israelites were brought during the Babylonian captive, captivity. They were brought from Jerusalem and they were brought to that same area as captives. here's what I'm trying to help you understand. In the days of the Old Testament, in the days of God's people, the Euphrates was seen not only as a boundary, it was seen also as somewhat of a barrier. That on the other side of the Euphrates is where God's enemies were. On the other side of the Euphrates is is where uh, the enemies of God's people lived. And from this same area, the final surge of evil will break out on the earth during the tribulation. You can almost see this being representative as the power base for Satan. But notice that none of this happens by chance. It's not... I just want to get down here where I can talk to you guys. None of this happens by chance. It's not that Satan all of a sudden has this power and he he decides he's going to go out and, and to destroy mankind. But rather, there's something interesting in verse 15. Notice that all of this happens, not by chance, but it happens because of an appointment, a date on God's calendar. It says, And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour, and day, and month, and year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The four angels who had been kept ready, what does it say? For this very what? Hour, and then day, month, and year. I'm sorry, I don't have enough room to walk around down there. I'm too close to you all. All right. So it says that God has reserved these four angels. God's kept them back at the great river Euphrates for this very hour, day, month, and year. What the writer is trying to show us here, what John is trying to show us, is that the repetition of the naming in these lengths of time adds to the effect. He's simply saying, God has a predetermined time, and God is sovereignly going to, to start this judgment. He, he, is, he has predetermined the time, and He sovereignly is in charge of this judgment. Now, that brings me to number two, that a vast army will appear with a deadly mission. Verse 16 Look what it says. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. Here's where the passage gets difficult to interpret. Is this a literal army of 200 million soldiers? I'm going to show you both sides of the coin. and am we'll going let you decide. Uh, I'll give you my opinion, but, but that's all that, that it is. There's two views. One is that this is a literal army of 200 million. There's only one nation right now that seems to have the capacity to field an army of 200 million. Anybody want to guess what nation that is? China. China right now. Some say that there could be a, what's the word I'm looking for, an agreement between other nations to form this, whether it's China and, and Japan or somewhere. But, but right now, uh, 200 million... Uh, if there were literally an army of 200 million soldiers, probably the nation that could field that kind of an army uh, would be China. In John's day, one commentator said, in John's day, the entire population of the world was less than 200 million. 200 million is almost twice as many as the troops uh, that, that were involved in World War II. About 70 to, to 100 million involved in World War II. But there's a, a significant article by the Associated Press, John Hightower, April the 28th, 1964. He wrote an article saying that the red Chinese leaders estimate that they have 200 million armed and organized militia ready to go. Again, I'm not saying that this is China, but I'm saying that even as early as 1964, it was known that China had the capacity to field an army of 200 million soldiers. To assert that this is a literal army of 200 million, though, might miss, really, the message of John because here's the other side of the coin. Here's the other option. This might be a literal army, or it may be symbolic language signifying that this is a demonic army headed by the four fallen angels. That's kind of where I kind of come down uh, in this interpretation. Let me just read the text and try to help you understand uh, my interpretation. Verse 17 the horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of, of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and sulfur. The third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The emphasis in these verses is, is, is kind of significant. Is, read, read the text again, 17 through 19. Scan the text. I want to ask you a question about it. Verse 17 through 19. Is the emphasis in these verses on the soldiers? No. What's the emphasis on? The horses. So it said earlier that there's 200 million soldiers. It didn't say there's 200 million horses, it said there's 200 million soldiers. But here, the emphasis really is not on the soldiers, but the emphasis seems to be on the horses. I believe the emphasis is on the deadly power of these horses. They have power beyond anything we've ever seen. Their description uh, is, is kind of like the, the demonic locust that we saw in the first part of chapter 9, but, but they have power. To kill, these horses do. The breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, sulfur, and smoke. Nothing about the, the soldiers. It's all about the horses. And then the result. Notice the mission of this deadly army. Verse 15 and 18. This is not an army trying to, to, uh, to conquest. This is an army sent to annihilate. Look at verse 15. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. We hear it again in verse 18. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues. Notice here it's referred to three plagues. So it could be that this demonic force is going to use disease and plagues during this time. uh, But but three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. Now, I, I did a little research. Uh, on that side column there, you know, we have blank space. There's some things I want you to write down. Write down Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, and then somebody read it for me. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. Would somebody read that for me, please? All right, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill. So we're, when we're talking about 7 billion people, I have a hard time doing math on 7 billion. And the, the population has exceeded 6 billion now. We're up to 7 billion population, uh, they tell us. So I have a little problem in my little Tennessee brain figuring out how, how do you do 7 billion. So we're going to use the figure of, of just 100,000, okay? That's more of a manageable number for, for me. So, if we had, let's say the world's population was 100,000. And it says, according to this verse, chapter 6, verse 8, that a quarter of the population was killed. How many would that be? Using the 100,000 number. 25,000. So, that would leave us how many people? 75,000. Now, go to chapter 9, verse 18. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur. So if we have 75,000 and a third of that 75,000 was killed by these, these, uh, this army of 200 million, whether it's demons or whatever it is, but if a third of is killed, what's a third of 75,000? 25,000. Now, if I've done my math right, that leaves how, many, how much? 50,000. Which means, by this time, half of the world's population will be dead. Does that make sense? Half of the world's population will be dead. I'm not even sure how to process that because, again... When you're watching CNN, there's the headline and, and they're on site with CNN showing you the devastation of the earthquake or whatever it is. And there were hundreds or maybe even a thousand or two thousand killed, uh, uh, maybe, maybe even more than that in the tsunami. But, but it's, it's headlines when hundreds or thousands are killed and, and the, the networks around the world are covering that. What in the world is it going to be like when it's half the population of the world? The terror of that. What's it going to be like when, when there are so many people? How, how do you bury half the world's population? I don't think you do. You know, sometimes they have mass graves. You see, when, when there's been lots of people slaughtered, there was a mass grave. How, how do you bury half? three and a half billion people. And if you don't bury them, what is that going to do to the environment? Can you imagine living in a place where, where death is everywhere? Where the stench of death is everywhere. Where the reality of death is everywhere. Where half of the world's population is no longer living. I'm trying to paint the picture for you, but for a particular reason. Talk to me for a minute. Tell me what you think that will be like. I, I tried to paint the picture. You helped me paint it. What, what do you think it'll be like? Any other insights beyond what I shared? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a, that's a good point. It, who, who knows what that number really is? All I can use is the figure that we know right now. But yeah, it won't be exactly 7 billion, there'll be those that are raptured, et cetera. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Jamie said, imagine the chaos, that when, when all of a sudden, all the Christians are removed, they're raptured, and then you have a fourth killed and, and then a third of those left killed and, and now roughly half the world's population is living and half the world's population is dead. Yeah. And why is that? God appointed it. God is sovereignly in charge. And and God appointed that, his, that, that Satan's angels will one day, he has set the time of the day, that one day his angels will bring judgment against those who have rejected him. Any other thoughts? Insights? self stink. It does, doesn't it? Somebody described it, uh, one of the commentators I was reading described it as uh, a volcano erupting. When a volcano erupts, there's fire, there's sulfur. What, what is the other one? Smoke, and there's smoke. He said, "Imagine it and, and this is where they kind of lost me a little bit but said, "You, you know the destruction that, that a volcano does." He said, "Imagine if you could somehow put that volcano into 200 million soldiers, the, the same capacity, same capability that that volcano has. you could put into 200 million soldiers that they had that same destructive capacity, imagine the annihilation that will occur. Now, and I, and I really don't know, you know, if some of it, as I said earlier, will be plague and disease or, if, or how that's going to occur. We're really not given that information, but we are told very clearly that, that you know, the, the 200 million army will bring about death to a third of the world's population, the third that's left. Yes, sir, in the back. Uh-huh. I, I, think you, I think you're right, Mike. And, and I think that's going to give rise to all kinds of, of military leaders who are going to take over, and we want the, the people that are here won't have any freedoms. It, it will be all military rule. Uh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Mike, did you, uh, the other Mike. Sir? No, sir, I don't think so. I, I think that these are, these 200 million are, are personally, I believe that these, this is representative of demonic forces. That the four angels are going to be, fallen angels, are going to be the generals. And these 200 million are, are going to be de- demonic forces. uh-huh yeah mhm yeah absolutely john somebody read john eight forty four and then i'll come to you too john i think it's john eight forty four i'm going on memory Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, during that time. That's a good question. During during that time, for that five months prior to all of this, for five months prior to all this, they will want to die and death will elude them. They will not be able to die. Then, at that appointed day when God... Tells those four angels that they, he sets them loose. That's when the death will occur. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and that's what I want. This is what I'm trying to get you to get in your mind for for a moment. How bad it's going to be, and there's a reason I want you to try to get that picture. John eight forty four. Satan, Jesus is, refers to Satan as a murderer. And that's what we're going to say right here and then over here. Yes. No. Nope. Right. There are believers at this point. And in chapter, the first part of chapter 9, he says that those who have the seal of God will not be hurt. This is the point I'm getting to. This is the point I'm getting to. Hang on just a minute. Was there another hand, Mark? Yeah, you know, we're just simply not told. We're just simply not told what that's going to be like. Uh, I mean, some have even said, Mark, that, uh, that... this is a literal 200 million army and that the horses described, you know, are, are the tanks and the, the, the equipment of war that they will have. And, uh, you, know, who, you know, some said that the, uh, this is the reason I thought about it. He said some, what they're really describing is rocket launchers, trucks with rocket launchers. You know, the, the fire coming down and, and, and the sulfur and the smoke and all that. I think all of that is imagination, maybe good imagination, but imagination nonetheless. We're simply not told. Now, here's the point I'm getting at. If you can think of in your mind, try to picture in your mind what chaos this is going to be, what absolute, how absolutely terrifying this is going to be, then you're ready for the third part of the notes. Because this is the part that just is staggering to me. Point number three is this. The people of the world will have a hardened heart in this time when a third of the world's population is is being killed. Look what it says. Uh, The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. Are you kidding me? The people who survive their hearts are going to be so hard towards God. And even though there is chaos and it's, it's, it's terrifying, their hearts are going to be so hard towards God that they still will refuse to repent. Look at this. Verse 20. Let's just read 20 and 21. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. When I, when I saw that, I, my mind immediately, when it talks about idols of gold and silver, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, I, my mind immediately went back to Thailand. And, and we've shown you some of those pictures where uh, on the mountain there overlooking, uh, Doi Kam I think is the name of it, overlooking Chiang Mai. There's a place of worship there where, where the, the people come to worship their idols. And they, they're idols. there are huge idols. There's some that are huge. And then there are some that are smaller. But, but people are bowing down to idols. And even though the Bible says when we come to this time of judgment, when half the world's population perhaps is annihilated, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. Now you tell me, talk to one, well I tell you what, you talk to one another first, then you tell me. Here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Why will they not repent? Talk to one another and figure that one out. Why will they not repent? All right, before you answer the question, I'll read the verses again with you, but I want you to notice something. Verse 20, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. Uh, There's the word, they did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. And here's the word again, they did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. A couple of things before you answer the question. Number one, twice we're told that they they will not repent. And I've told you before as I've taught things along the way that whenever you see something repeated in Scripture, especially in the same verse or verses, it's kind of like a red flag saying this is really important. This is really significant. Twice we're told in those two verses that these people will not repent. And then I want you to notice, the second thing I want you to notice is that These people are, how can I say it? This world has become, or will become, a place of absolute perversion and absolute immorality that it will be unlike anything we've ever known. Now, it's bad now, isn't it? It's awful now. I, I, I just... Sometimes I, I just shake my head in amazement when something even in, in, this, in the United States occurs recently like like Target deciding, well we're gonna have a bathroom, we're not gonna have men and women's bathrooms. We're gonna let you decide how you identify yourself when you go into the can can I just be real blunt for a moment? How can people be so stupid? I mean, it it, it just sometimes is beyond my imagination how we can say it's discriminatory if you go into this bathroom when you would prefer to go into that bathroom. And I don't want to get off on that tangent, but just an illustration of how immoral and perverse our over-tolerant society has become. Would you agree with that? And that is nothing. Nothing compared to what's coming. Described, describe for us in these ways. That even when, even when a third of the world's population at this time, a third of the remaining population is, is killed by these plagues, they still did not repent of the work of their hands. They still did not now In other words, during this time, there will be Satanism like you've never imagined. They will be worshiping demons and worshiping idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders. There will be tremendous murders during this time. Their magic arts, there will be witchcraft rampant in the world. Their sexual immorality. Will be even worse than it is today, or their thefts. Now, I ask you to try to figure it out, and so let's talk about it. Why will they not repent? You tell me. All right, God has put blinders on people to keep them from seeing. It's, there's a reference of that in Scripture. What else? Sir? They were given, been given over to their sins. Okay. Haven't ex, haven't experienced the love of God. That's true. Some. Uh huh. Yeah. They're comfortable with that. Yes. Right, that's good. That's true. I saw another hand. Absolutely. Any other reasons? Yes. Say it louder, please. Yes. Yes. Let me describe it to you this way. When you say no to God and shut your heart to the gospel, you're open to all the lies of Satan. And the most frightening part of this whole chapter, I think, is not the judgments, but it's the fact that folks can see and experience the judgments and still turn a hard heart to God. That they can go through those judgments and still say no to God. The power of sin is greater than we realize. When, when we begin to hold on to our sin... And cling to our sin. And reject the voice of God. Eventually our hearts get so hard. That we will not respond to God. Regardless of what happens. I would plead with you tonight. Not to reject God any longer. Not to say no to God. Again. Because the more you turn to God. The harder it is eventually say yes to him. Uh, this, is a, this is a very simple illustration, but maybe it'll help you remember it. And with this, I close. <coughs> you know, Lisa, I told you she gone. So guess what I'm she's coming back tomorrow afternoon, praise the Lord. And uh, so, so guess what I'm going to be doing tonight after we get through here and, and I do everything I need to do here. Guess what I'm going to be doing tonight? Yes! Absolutely. And part of cleaning house are the dishes that are in the sink. Now, have you, have you ever had something that was kind of like in a pot and, and you let it get hard in the pot? Some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Here's what I've learned from personal experience. The longer you leave it there, the harder it gets. In fact, we've got one pot, we just can't get clean anymore. Can I get a witness? You know what I'm saying? The longer you leave it there, the harder it gets. The longer you say no to God, the harder your heart gets. The longer you reject and, and, and resist God, the harder it is to say yes to Him. To the point that when we come to the time of great tribulation and God judges the world, He says, and there'll be half the world's population perhaps who will go through the judgments and they'll survive and they'll still turn a hard heart to God. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. We're going to close. And as you bow your heads, I'm going to ask you, please, to respond to the Lord as He is leading. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to turn to Him tonight and not put off what He's doing in your life. If you're going to return or respond to Him tonight, uh, do not reject Him again, but receive Him tonight as your Lord and as your Savior. Father, in the name of Jesus, for anyone here and they have not received You as Savior, they don't know You personally, I pray, dear God, That tonight they would come under conviction and tonight they would be aware that you are the living Lord. That you are sovereign, but you also want to be their Savior. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that anybody here that that do not yet know you as Savior, that they would say yes to you tonight rather than say no again. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen.